The ARC encounter that Patrick is talking about is well worth your time and money. I was totally, we went up there about a year ago and totally fascinated at the structure of the ARC. Now, I don't know if they got exactly like the ARC was really originally built, but it's close enough. It's, it's well worth your time and, and efforts to go see. So if you haven't seen the ARC, right up the road, <laughs> Patrick will direct you there, <laughs> and he'll get you tickets. This morning we're in John chapter 14, and uh, the opening verse of chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. But right before this upper room discourse, right before the Passover meal, Jesus has confessed that his own soul is troubled. He has been to Gethsemane, and he's prayed, and he prayed so fervently and so stressfully, you might say, that great drops of blood flowed down from him. Jesus, in this uh, Passover meal, has washed the disciples' feet, told the disciples that they would be happy, happy if they served in a like manner. It's amazing that we have to get out of ourselves to enjoy life or to be happy. Jesus at this dinner also spoke of Judas betraying him. And we have Judas depart from the disciples and go out into the night. Then Jesus tells the disciples, he will be leaving. He's going to depart, and he's going to actually go to his death on the cross, and he will elaborate on that. And he says, but where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, Peter begs to differ, and Peter says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Well, Jesus answers Peter, and he said, Peter, you will not lay down your life. In fact, you will deny you even know me. Before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. And after these words of Jesus, the disciples, their hearts are troubled because their Lord is going away. But Jesus, in his probably most deep hour of despair, he has concern for the troubled hearts of his disciples. And so let me read John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, 
that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and you know the way. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus will give the disciples words of comfort. Let not your heart be troubled. Or do not be overly concerned. Do not be worried. Us Christians, we don't talk about being worried. We know that's a sin, so we just act concerned. Worries worry. <laughs> the disciples, they're troubled. Their lives, they've laid down their own personal lives, uh, have been filled with misgivings about who Jesus will be. They want a conquering Messiah. They've suffered unmet expectations, disappointments. They want Jesus to be that glorious conquering of a kingdom like in the days of David. This is what they really want. They want to, things to be like when David conquered that area of the world. In fact, all of Israel is anxious for the yoke of Rome to be removed. The Jewish people, they're wanting relief from Rome's control over them. They're wanting relief from Rome's brutality. And they want it all the way from the high priest down to the common man on the street. In fact, Judas was so disillusioned by the, the servant style of Jesus, he departs Jesus to betray him. No longer can Judas be a part of this humble Messiah. He doesn't want any of that lowly servant thing that Jesus has demonstrated by washing the disciples' feet. So Judas goes out to betray sinless Messiah. But you know, Jesus came to set men free from sin we live, when in sin, in a prison that engulfs our hearts. As Christians, Jesus saw our need to be free of sin and troubled hearts, including worry. I can worry about things that I have no business worrying about. They say that 80% of the things you worry about never come to pass anyway. So there we are. Jesus gives a remedy for troubled hearts. He says, believe in God, as you should, but believe also in me. And he's saying this to his disciples. Truth for the disciples, and that's truth for us also. Jesus gives you and I the same words of comfort. Believe that he is God. Believe in me, he says, the same way you believe in God the Father. 
And every Jewish person in that day knew the great command of Scripture, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And for all believers, the solution to a troubled heart is a relationship of belief in Jesus. A necessary belief for the disciples, and it's a necessary belief for us also. You have to give Jesus that personal allegiance that he is God. He says, believe in me. And he makes no uh, qualms about it. Believe in me. Therefore, the words are a comfort to each of us when he says, in my father's house or in heaven, we have a dwelling place that awaits us. And that comes after this life on earth has passed. And Jesus says, know and understand that when I leave you, I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus is going to heaven, but he has to go to the cross first. The cross of Jesus is our passport to heaven, and it's God's way of bringing us to heaven. Have you ever been questioned about your belief? Well, you ever been to a family reunion? <laughs> I was asked by an unbelieving relative, why was I a pastor? I said, oh, the money's good. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Contrary. <laughs> but I, I, I replied to him, I try to cause people to think eternally. And I think that's one of my big responsibility is to get your mind and heart off the here and now and get them onto eternity. Our life here on earth is, is, is so temporary. It's like a vapor of smoke. It's here one moment and gone the next. Our belief and our lifestyle and our behavior for three score and ten. That's what we're promised. Seventy years. I've had my seventy. For three score and ten, we get to determine what our eternal life will be. Heaven, as Jesus speaks of it, is simply being reunited with him. And he's talking to his disciples. It was real for the disciples, and it'll be real for us. We who have never seen Jesus will be reunited with Jesus. What a great promise for the church. Jesus going to prepare a dwelling place for all believers. Now, a little food for thought. Jesus created this world in what? Six days. Jesus ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. You can be rest assured, you can know for a fact that heaven will be so glorious, so fulfilling, that it will amaze you. 
So Jesus declares, if I go, I will come again. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, how Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, the dead and the alive saints will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and there we will always, always be with him. Jesus then says, where I go, you know. And the way you know. Heaven is simply about being with Jesus. But this can't go by Thomas. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answers Thomas. And he answers all who question the way, the method of going to heaven. Heaven, a dwelling place where Jesus is. And so he says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's singular. It's not a way, it is the way. Jesus didn't go, hey, disciples, let me show you a way to heaven. No. He says, i got a secret plan. If you follow the secret plan, you can go. No. Jesus said, I am the way. Very singular, very straightforward. Jesus declares, I go. And he says, I go of my own initiative. I go of my predetermined will to go. And the cross is Jesus' planned exit of this life on earth. And it is the only way to heaven. We are, as Christians, extremely blessed to know Jesus as God and Savior. Not all the world does. Not all those who claim to be Christians even uh, say Jesus is the singular path to heaven. Does the disciples, in their deep Jewish heritage of the Mosaic law, and God being the supreme God, are now being schooled by Jesus as to who he is. And we can almost see the wheels of understanding in Thomas and the other disciples as they look on Jesus as who he is. You can see the revolutionary thought about Jesus being equal to God and how it's so uh, amazing to them. And so we battle today against what I call ecumenical thought. And it's a popular thought that there are many ways to God and to heaven. A lie from the pit of hell. That's what it is. Do not allow ecumenical thought to sway you from the truth of Jesus. Singular. Thomas, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
you couldn't get the path more narrow, more straightforward. No one, there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. And then these last hours of Jesus, these last moments before the cross, Jesus is very plain and straightforward to tell his disciples who he is and the way to heaven. And Jesus will continue this discourse about heaven in verses 7 through 11. Let's read those. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, do not, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus says to his disciples, men who have been with him three and a half years, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, know my father, and you have seen him, and you have seen me. Jesus is speaking so directly, so straightforward, that there can be no hidden meaning in his words. There's no reading between the lines. He is not speaking to his disciples in parables. He is speaking plain, straightforward. And Philip, he's trying to grasp this, and he's trying to grasp the truth that Jesus is God. And he blurts out, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be sufficient. <laughs> so Jesus speaks to Philip and the other disciples and he, he says consider what you have seen and what you've heard from me just think about what you've seen and heard guys the words and the works I do I do by the authority of God the Father for God the Father who dwells in me does the works and he has done all the healings you have seen me do. He's raised the dead as you've seen me do. And my words, I speak words of life that are from the Father. And if you have difficulty in believing this, then believe me because of my miraculous works in and of themselves. Believe me because I back up my words with works. My works. Jesus' works. Disciples and believers of today. The works of Jesus verify that Jesus' words are true. And in his words... He gives us life eternal, and it springs forth within us.
But Jesus' words, they're so revolutionary that the disciples are struggling to comprehend what he's saying to them. The words and works of Jesus, they're powerful. They're absolute. And no one can doubt them when they examine them because he backed up his words with the proof of his works. So today, the Holy Spirit brings forth the words of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and he brings them home to every believer. Therefore, we have one responsibility. Be believing. That's all we have to do. And that believing is an act of your will. It's not weighing the pros and cons of a situation and then saying, okay, I'm going to go with that. No, no. Believing is an act of the will of your heart. Just like Jesus said to Thomas, be believing. We have that capacity. So our duty, our responsibility is to be believing. Amen? Amen. Let me get your stand with closing prayer.